Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jay. I'm editor of TheEaglesBeat.com, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. I'm also a producer and co-host for the Iranian Sports Show, a community radio sports show on air every Tuesday evening. You can get us on Twitter at the Meridian SS and the Eagles Beat you can get at the... Eagle speak on Twitter. Hi, I'm Dan um, of the former website 1878 and I currently run the Twitter account at 1878-WBA um, or you can find me personally on at the what 22 All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. A bit of an old school uh, feel here. Is this, this was kind of one of the uh, original setups all the way back in 2013 when we started this, so... Absolute pleasure having you guys back on. Um, we're going to start off with the the cup final today. Obviously, Manchester City won the first major uh, trophy for Pep Guardiola since joining Manchester City. I, I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on uh, his job at City thus far. Obviously, only about a year and a half in, has not been there as long as he was at Barcelona and Bayern and obviously does not have the trophy count to match. But I'm curious as to what you think he's done at Manchester City. Do you think it's been more impressive or less impressive uh, than his previous stints? Um, for me, I mean, congratulations to City for winning a cup today. Obviously, uh, a little bit one-sided, uh, as far as I understand. I was travelling back from Silla's part this afternoon, so didn't really catch the, uh, the, the final, but uh, here is a bit of a drab affair. Um, yeah, Pep Guardiola has done pretty well, to be honest. It was always going to be a bit of a challenge coming to the Premier League, competitive league, as we've always said. Uh, I think it's still the most competitive league in, in Europe, if not the world. It's difficult to to say how he was going to settle in in the Premier League after being in the Liga. You know, as we know, it's a two horse race in the Liga and probably a one horse race pretty much in in the Bundesliga. So um, he's always had money at his disposal. Um, probably taking a little bit longer um, over here to to get a side together. Clearly, you know, he spent a lot of money, but I think I think there's a lot more to it with Pep Guardiola. I think he he, he seems to. A lot of people say he spends money, so he's not a good coach, but I I don't actually believe that because I think he's actually made a lot of the players that he's bought better. Uh, Otamendi, for a start, you know, he's brought in, again, spent money, and and Sterling as well. I think they've improved under Pep Guardiola, so there's obviously a coaching, um, you know, the knack of coaching there from from Guardiola. I I think he's a quality manager. He comes across well in the press as well. Uh, Very interesting to listen to and and, and obviously hear uh, his views. I know he mentions a lot about the protection of players, which... Um, I think after the Palace game, he, he wasn't singling out Palace players in, in that game actually. Although there was a couple of empty tackles, I admit, in that one. But he was talking about the you know the league in general and the fact that you know flair players should be uh, protected in general. And he said it a few times since. But uh, um, I have to add to that that the City players going quite heftily as well at times. So you know um, swings and roundabouts really, isn't it? But yeah, back to Guardiola. I think he's I think he's done pretty well, pretty much as we would have anticipated I guess but uh, probably a little bit more so because like I say it's a it's, it's a more competitive uh, league than he's probably been used to um, previously and, and like I say he spent money it's nice for a, a manager to be able to spend money like he can um, obviously probably it's the biggest, spend, biggest spender in the Premier League isn't he I think I believe um, yeah. so yeah yeah he's I mean he's, he's done all the right things he's uh, yeah, heading towards a Premier League trophy this year um, just picked up the Carabao Cup and I see them going Fair long way into Champions League. If you know, if they, I've got a feeling they get to the final. Um, they're playing so well at the moment, and obviously this this trophy under the belt, uh, Premier League pretty much sewn up. They could probably, um, you know, concentrate a little bit on the Champions League now. Obviously, out of the FA Cup, so I haven't got to worry about that one. So, um, but I think on that note, it, it proves how difficult it is to uh, you know, to challenge on all four fronts. 
a lot of people saying they're good enough and spend a lot of money so they should be able to do it but um, just, just shows how difficult it is but uh, no fair play I, I've got a lot of time for Guardiola he's done well in this country probably uh, uh, done better than I perhaps expected when he first came over but he's, he's just classy isn't he I, th- I think if, if any, I think any of, the, any of the teams he's managed at so far I think this would be the one where he, he might have come a, a bit unstuck mm. because you look at his time at Barcelona and it's his, it's his hometown club um, he, he knew the club inside and out, and of course, the way Barcelona bring through coaches from the the youth setup and, and through the reserve team setup, and then bring them through to managing the first team, he, he was always like to get that chance, I suppose. And then he's took that on, and, and with Bayern Munich, it's it you know uh, we, we, without trying to to do the Bundesliga down because I think apart from Bayern Munich, it's a really competitive league, but Bayern are just so far ahead that it is. It would take a really bad manager to to to, to you know to be there to, for them to not be winning the league even. So um, I think it, it, it is it's his first real big step outside of his comfort zone. Maybe um, you come into a league where there's six teams potentially that could win the league. Um, so so it, it's not a given. Um, and it, I don't think it matters how much money you're spending because you can spend any money now on anyone. The, the, the prices are there for, for every single club. But clubs that are in the mid-table towards the bottom end of the table are spending 20, 30 million on players. So it doesn't matter how much money you've spent. You've still got to pick the right players. You've still got to get the squad to gel together. You've still got to get the squad working to how you want them to work. And these tactics are almost perfect. Um, and there was lots of questions, I think, before he joined, whether he'd be able to get those implemented a Premier League side because of the blood and thunder involved in, in a lot of Premier League games. Um, you know, I, I think that he's managed to turn on the style. Um, so, so much so that it's, it's just, I think with the league title sewn up and like Jay says, I think they probably will go all the way in the, in the Champions League. I can genuinely, I can see them winning all four trophies they're involved in. Um, apart from, sorry, <laughs> three trophies involved in they get knocked, they got knocked out of Wigan didn't they um, so I, I've got I've got no real like I think there were, there were probably a lot of people when when a big big guy or a big name joins a club and it's someone like Man City and there's a lot of people have got a bit of a dislike for City because of the fact that they've got a lot of money and never, they were brought out by um, real rich owners who've, who've got like, endless pots of money there's people that sort of don't like that, um, but it's the way football's gone. Um, so there are probably a lot of people waiting for him to fail, um, and he's simply proved a lot of people wrong, especially after the first season where it, 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 you could see what they were trying to do, but they wasn't quite as perfect in setting that up. Um, they had a really great start, didn't they, last season, and then they fell by the wayside towards the middle of the, the, middle of the campaign. Um, but they've got so much consistency. Um, and like I say, it, it's fine having the money to buy players, but if you buy the wrong players, then it makes no difference. If you look at if you look at a lot of the top sides around, you know, Man United, you could argue that um, that they're doing okay, but they could have brought better. I don't think Pogba's setting the world alight for for what they've paid for him. There's definitely other players who could do a similar thing. Um, and and you look at Liverpool as well, like recognizing your areas of weakness. Manchester City knew that their key area of weakness was in goal and at the back. They've spent a lot of money in organising a, a superb defence, well, well, a, a much better defence, um, and they've signed a goalkeeper that's, you know, he's, he's done fantastically well for his first season in the Premier League and for a guy that's, that's fairly young compared to a lot of goalkeepers out there. All it takes is a wrong signing. Look at Liverpool. But I don't know what Liverpool's defence are doing sometimes, you know, that they can be found wanting. And then they've got two goalkeepers who are absolutely shocking. It's about recognising where, where your weakness are and building on your strength. And, you know, he's he's got the setup at Man City to to be doing extremely well. But that, it's not a given. It's never a given. So for, for him to be doing what is expected of him, it, 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 yeah, it, it's fantastic for him. And, and I do like him, to be fair, as Jay said, he does, he does talk really well. He comes across really well. Um, and I think he appreciates 
the the he, I think he does appreciate like the the blood and thunder that comes with some Premier League fixtures. As much as he does have a moan, um, I think he does probably appreciate the competitiveness of the league. Um, and I think if he wins the Premier League, that's probably for him his biggest achievement as a manager yet, in my opinion. Yeah, I've been, uh, like you guys, very impressed with what he's done at Manchester City already. Um, and he has been able to build this team uh, more the way he saw fit. I agree entirely with you, Dan. They knew fullback was their issue. Uh, they got beat on the counter a lot last season. Um, yeah. And then brought in three fullbacks. Obviously, Danilo hasn't really gotten the run they expected. And then Benjamin Mendy got a season-ending injury pretty early in the season. But then he helped put Fabian Dolph there, um, <laughs> which to the surprise of many, and, and he did fairly well, which is kind of to Jay's point, that um, yes, they've spent a lot of money, but he tends to get the best out of what's in the building. Obviously, there are some exceptions, like Mangala, who then was kind of sent packing, which is an example, unfortunately, of poor buying by City. That one just never really panned out. But he has been improving players. As you mentioned, Sterling, he's improved Sané. Mendy went from not very composed last season to now being arguably their best center back thus far this season. Um, Stone's obviously dealing with injuries, company dealing with injuries, obviously time yet to see uh, how Laporte fits in having just come in in January, <laughs> but he is improving the players that are there already. Um, and fortunately I did get to catch one of his training sessions here in the States in the summer and just kind of the meticulousness about it um, w- was very, very impressive. Uh, and I'm not really su- well, I obviously didn't think they would basically win the league by December, but I'm not surprised to see uh, how well they've done, considering how talented they already were, and as we've said, how uh, well they filled their holes. Um, and with the money that they have um, from the owners, with uh, Cheeky Begurs, that guy, um, yep. <laughs> running um, transfers, and then you have Guardiola as manager with this current talented squad. And you mentioned buying well. They haven't just bought well, they bought young and well. So they have all these young players that are bringing up. I mean, Kyle Walker, I'm fairly confident, is the oldest player that he's signed um, since going to Manchester City. Um, so you look at, you know, Gabriel Jesus is coming through. Sterling has gone from talent to star to superstar through the Bernardo, progression. Bernardo Silva looks really special. As he well. does, yeah. And he's not even really getting minutes right now. He's just kind of uh-huh. waiting for David Silva to retire. Um yeah, this, this is an incredible team. What I will say, though, is, and it's kind of drawn into sharp relief by Fernandinho's injury today, he is the one player there is not a backup for in this team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's why they were chasing Fred so heavily in January, uh, did not manage to bring him in. If it ends up being serious, at, at time of recording, we don't know how bad it is yet. All we know is that Guardiola has said he's going to be out games, plural, um, which the next two are Arsenal and Chelsea. So, like, that, you know, if they hadn't already basically won the title, those could be very impactful games to miss. Um, So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they fix that. But I agree that when they've had holes, they've tended to fill them. And he's coached up the players that were there. And for that, I I think it's, to an extent, more impressive than what he's done previously. Obviously, the trophy count isn't there, but the trophy potential is certainly there uh, for him at Manchester City. And with how young they are, it is a very scary um, proposition to look forward uh, and think how long they could be this good um, without really the draw. <laughs> I mean, obviously Barcelona is always going to be a draw for South American players, as is um, Real Madrid. Obviously the Spanish players also feel a tie there. But if you're at Manchester City right now, I think it's very unlikely you want out unless you're not getting minutes. And even if you are getting minutes, you're getting medals and trophies. So um, they think that this core group could be there for, for a while, and that's a pretty concerning thing as a fan of any of the 19 other uh, current Premier League clubs. Current Premier League clubs. Hmm? <laughs> Sorry. You what? I just interjected with current Premier League clubs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. We'll get to that fully uh, when we get to club questions. Um, but the second thing starts with the big club thing, but we will talk about our clubs in this a little bit. Uh, Alvaro Morata has now failed to score in 10 consecutive matches. We'll start with his future at Chelsea because we've seen this this play before of... Young, talented player, goes to Chelsea. Uh, admittedly, he came a little bit less early than the likes of, you know, De Bruyne or, or Lukaku. But another talented player, kind of proven elsewhere, moves to Chelsea. All of a sudden, things turn south. Probably going to be out the door sooner rather than later. Is that what we're we're thinking, that he would have to move elsewhere to find success? Or do you think somehow Conte, or insert Chelsea manager's name here, uh, will be able to turn things around for him? I think you've probably just said it there, haven't you? I think I think it's insert manager's name here yeah. who could be the difference 
to to Alvaro Morata. I think he's definitely a, a player of immense quality. He proved that in Italy, didn't he? He's absolutely a fantastic player. Um, more of maybe, I don't know if it, it, it's a fact that Chelsea have just not really had the sort of season you expected them to have following last term. And, you know, it was always going to be difficult with the emergence of Man City, but well, Chelsea have really fell by the wayside quite a lot. And I think there always seems to be just internal problems after they do well, Chelsea. They can't ever do well and then back it up. If, and, and I just think that maybe it was the wrong club for Morata to be joining. Um, maybe he could do with being... Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. I, I can't really put my finger on the exact reasons why. I, 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 he's definitely a fantastic footballer and he's definitely got the quality to score goals. Um, but but Chelsea, you know, you, you'll watch him one week and they'll look like they're good enough to take on anyone in the world. And then you're watching the week after, and they're losing three 0 against Bournemouth. You know, and it doesn't it doesn't seem to add up to a team that's committed to the cause or a team that it, it seems like it, when everything's going their way that that they're absolutely fine and they can they can get with the program. Um, whatever if if it's not, then it, there seem to be a, a group of players that really do struggle to to sort that out. So I think Morata's got time in him yet. Um, and I do think Conte's probably going to be on his way out maybe at the end of the season, maybe even before. Um, because Chelsea, are, they're, they're falling away a little bit, aren't they? Um, so I think the gap between them and United is a good six, seven points, isn't it now? Back yeah, um, Chelsea are yeah. on 53, United are on 59. So Chelsea might not even make the top four. They genuinely could struggle, and, that, and they still have City and Tottenham to go in the next month or so. And that, and that's not going to that's not going to spell Conte remaining as man, as um, Chelsea manager, is it? Because as we know, Abramovich will not stand for anything <laughs> less than what he deems as success, and success isn't going to be the Europa League. Um, so then, he, then he, he may get the opportunity to shine. Um, and I think if you look at the midfielders as well at Chelsea, they're very hit and miss as well. Like William's fantastic on his day, and Hazard is a fantastic player on his day. But then he can go completely missing as well. Um, so yeah, I think I think maybe Morata might well have been the forward that Man United needed. <coughs> as opposed to the forward that Chelsea needed in the yeah. summer. And, and it, as people may remember from last summer, it was very possible that it was going to be the other way, that Lukaku yeah. was going to uh, go back to Chelsea and then Morata was going to end up at United. And that is an interesting thought experiment uh, on style because obviously neither have been as successful as we anticipated. Uh, Jay, what have you made of uh, Morata thus far and do you think he can find success at Chelsea? Yeah, he kind of came in as as the player to sort of help Chelsea this season, help push on. But um, as Dan said, it's been an odd season for Chelsea. I mean, one minute they're you know they're 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 holding Barcelona in the Champions League at home, and then uh, you know before that they were losing to the likes of Watford and uh, and Bournemouth. And I, I guess you know we've alluded to that already. The Premier League is the most competitive in Europe, uh, if not the world. But um, just goes to show how difficult it is even for teams that do have the power to spend money because it's not easy to. Uh, to beat the teams you're expected to beat. And Conte's obviously finding out this season after winning a title with Chelsea last year. I mean, it's probably, this season's probably proving harder for Chelsea than it was last season, um, which sounds a bit strange, strange thing to say, but um, considering they won the title last year. But I, it, it seems to me that Conte's on his way out in the summer. It, I, I just think it, 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 all the fingers are pointing towards that, whether it's going to have a last hurrah in the Champions League and, and even whether they qualify in, in, in the top four, it, it's going to be tight. I mean, it's, it's between Liverpool, Spurs and, and Chelsea, really, isn't it, but, uh, for that uh, um, for that third and fourth spot. So it's going to be interesting to see how that, uh, how that pans out. But Chelsea are on all side because they, they've had players before which have failed to really do anything. I mean, it, it, you can go back to the likes of uh, Shevchenko and obviously... Um, 
Salah, you know, is doing wonders at Liverpool now. I mean, you could you could say that I've had experience elsewhere um, you know, since then, and since and then he's coming to Liverpool. But the Chelsea seems an odd place where they seem to have had quite a few of these players who kind of haven't really got going as you would expect them to. And Murata was one which you thought um, was going to be that target man. You know, they got rid of Costa, who was you know who was kind of their talisman, you know, their, their, their player up front who had scored the goals for them, and but he was obviously trouble for them. So, um, Morata's not really, doesn't appear to have settled uh, completely. And then when you when you kind of have, like the other weekend, you have uh, Chelsea having two strikers on a bench in Giroud and, um, and Morata, and they're, they're not playing a, a striker there. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite bizarre some of the decisions he makes. But um, to be fair, I'll, I'll quite happily swap um, 17th place with 5th. Um, in the <laughs> Premier League uh, for, for, for my team um, but um, yeah I, I've got a lot of time for Conte he's quite refreshing you know he says what he thinks um, you need managers like that in the Premier League to make it a little bit more lively um, Mourinho's a little bit old hat at it now he's probably getting a bit more grumpy than he uh, perhaps used to have have a bit more fun with it but um, yeah it'd be a shame if Conte goes but I think it's on the cards already isn't it really I think and, and obviously again from Morata's perspective it's going to be interesting to see who would come in uh, to to fill that uh, to fill that role and whether Morata's that kind of player for that manager it, it depends on your face fits doesn't it even even though they spent a lot of money on, on players it, it, it all depends on whether it fits into you know what this what, what a manager wants so um, I think the other big thing for Chelsea um, stepping away from Morata a little bit is, is where Hazard ends up because it seems like um, he could well be on his way to Real Madrid in the summer. Um, whether that pans out, that'd be a huge loss for Chelsea and perhaps a bit of a rebuilding program going on uh, during the summer. Yeah, my, my main concern for Morata is confidence just because um, Tottenham once upon a time had a uh, person with a far better proven scoring record in Spain um, who then basically flopped as soon as he got here through things like um, immediately losing confidence. Then uh, the manager just kept sticking with him over and over again and uh, AVB at the time, uh, and it ended up <laughs> costing him his job um, because he just couldn't catch form when we needed him to. Obviously, now in hindsight, his and Adebayor's failures led to the door opening for Harry Kane, which now looking back, we're obviously in a much better place long-term with Kane than we were uh, with a 29-year-old Soldado and, and similarly aged Adebayor. Um, but I, I, Murata obviously far younger than Soldado was at the time, but <clears throat> once a striker fully loses confidence, how do you get it back? That, that's kind of the big question. And as you said, probably a question for who ends up being the next manager at Chelsea. Um, but Jay rattled off names that, that have failed at Chelsea uh, when they come in young and, and try to develop. And it kind of draws into sharp relief what we were just talking about Pep Guardiola is he's getting these young players and making them better. And it feels like these young players keep going to Chelsea time after time or even their academy, which is one of the best in the country and continues to develop talent for other teams like Chalaba moving to Watford, Loftus-Cheek obviously on loan at uh, Crystal Palace, and then the cavalcade to go abroad. Um, obviously, the Vitesse joke is a little worn out now and not as accurate as it used to be. But they have talented youngsters. They just tend to not end up coming through. And like I know right now we're all uh, excited about Nathan Ampadu, but is there any chance he actually ends up even playing um, consistently for Chelsea. It's it's hard to make a case for how they would. You have Kurt Zuma, a young, talented center back. You send him out to bring in Antonio Rudiger. That was a very strange choice. We've talked before about some of their strange transfer choices. But if you're a young player, I don't see what the appeal is in going to Chelsea outside of wages. And yet we see, we've seen it again with Ross Barkley not willing to wait till the summer um, for, for a better development path for himself instead going to Chelsea. And, and we'll obviously see if that works out. But it's it's very interesting that this continues to become a trend uh, at Chelsea. And if a new manager comes in and Murata gets firing, you know, I'll, I'll obviously uh, kind of eat my words on this. But right now, I don't think he can be successful at Chelsea. Um, if this kind of situation happened at your club, you had a player that was very out of form, how do you think your managers would handle it? Would it be like uh, uh, AVB with Soldado, just keep rolling him out there, hopefully it'll work out? Uh, would you drop them, give them a rest, maybe bring somebody else in to maybe take the pressure off them? Uh, how, how would your clubs and managers deal with a situation like a Murata at the moment of just somebody that just could not find form for their life? We've got that exact, exact scenario. <laughs> um, Benteke, I, I present to you Christian Benteke. This season, I mean, last season he scored 17 goals for us. 
Um, good value for the money we paid for him. Obviously, if he can score that many this season, he scored two this year. Um, not through the want to try, and he gets a lot of criticism by Palace fans. Um, but the fact is, our horrendous injury list prevents us from putting anybody else in that position. Uh, we've currently got 12 first-team players out injured, um, which, which for a club like us is, you know, it, it's it, it's terrible. Uh, you know, we can't compete. On a, on a on a level playing field with that many first team players out injured, and I'm not going to moan about it. It's where we are, and and you know, it's what we have to deal with. I mean, we put out a, a, a decent side today, um, in in the circumstances, but it was a very young and a mixed bench. But you know, you could you can only do what you can do with that many injuries in the side. But Christian Menteke is a is an excellent example of that, and Roy Hodgson just keeps rolling him out more because we don't have. Uh, that second option there uh, at the moment. We do have, we did buy a striker in January to to relieve some of the pressure, but it's kind of playing um, out to his right a little bit rather than replacing Benteke. But um, it's just a position we find ourselves in. The, the summer transfer window wasn't great for us in terms of um, finding a striker to uh, compete against him. We were hoping Conor Wickham's going to be back, but he's uh, he suffered a setback in his return um, to to training. So yeah, it's just it's just where we are. But um, I, I think. It depends per club, doesn't it? Really, if you if you have a player chomping at a bit at the same position to get out there and, and score goals, I think that would be the best way to allow another player um, to kind of you know, well, actually, you know, I need to buck up my ideas. I need to I need to start scoring goals and keep working hard to do it. Um, other managers would perhaps stick with that player and uh, maybe bring you know replace him during the game, um, you know, just to try and uh, you know change things up. But I think a lot of teams are probably in a similar position to us in that. You know, you just keep going with that star striker that you have. Not not every team has the ability to, um, you know, have a have a twenty million pound striker on the pitch and have another twenty man twenty million pound striker or another thirty million pound striker on the bench to replace them with. Um, it's yeah, every manager is different. I think um, Roy's had his hands tied from our perspective in, in terms of somebody like Morata. Um, I think strikers are confidence players, aren't they? Really. Uh, it's more so than anybody else in a way because if they get a goal they could end up getting you know scoring in the next six games um, going forward but uh, if you know if they go on a bit of a barren spell um, you know they're, they're an odd creature aren't they strikers because you know they could turn up and just score one goal in a game do nothing else get get uh, get a man a match award and, and job done but uh, otherwise if they don't score a goal they're public enemy number one if the team's lost a game and uh, we experienced that you know a fair bit this season well, I'd I'd like to comment on what what we do in this situation and what our manager would choose to do. But um, at the time that you might be listening to this, I'm not actually sure who our manager will be. So it's quite a tough one. <laughs> um, I, I think I think as a club though, we, we've had Rondon um, play game after game after game after game, and. I suppose under Pulis, we we haven't really had too many alternatives. Like last season, we did struggle to, to find someone else to put in there with him, and or we'd be playing literally for one striker, and and that one striker suited the way Pulis wanted to play football. And um, I think at a club like ours and how we've been doing, I don't think goals come into it that much. Goals are just a bonus. So I mean, uh, um, it's 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 a tough one, really. Um, I suppose it just depends on what what size your club is, whether you can afford the rotation, whether you've not got injuries, whether you've got the option to go and sign someone else if it's a transfer window and and things aren't working out. I think there's just too, there's there's so many permutations. Um, it it all just literally does um, depend. But um, to be honest, I, I'd it'd be nice to be able to, to field a, a striker every week that can score goals at a minute because um, we have no one that can do that really right <laughs> so. It's a million-dollar question, though, isn't it, really? Because, you know, as we've seen, you know, like of Manchester United spent all that money on Lukaku and he went for a barren spell um, the last, last several weeks, wasn't he? And now he's at a bit of a purple patch. Um, strikers are an odd, odd creatures, aren't they? Because, uh, you know... You could also blame the supply lines as well. You know, not yeah. not playing, not playing in. You know, you could have players who are trying. You know, supposed to be supporting the strikers, and and they're they're having, you know, a period of uh, you know bad spells as well. So it's 
can be such a combination of different things. You know, they're only human, aren't they? As well, you know, if you've got issues at home and stuff like that, it's, it's it could be just anything that is affecting a player's performance. You know, they're, they're like I said, they're not robots; they're still humans, whether they're being paid, you know, millions of pounds or not. It's you know, it's still uh, you know, it's still got emotions and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, it's yeah, it's a tough one. It could be a combination of things. It's just. I guess it's good management in a way if they if they find a way of dealing with it. I think every it's like every person in life in in the workplace as well. You kind of treat people you know to the way that, that they 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 would react the best to. So it's kind of trying to find that way of of doing it. And I guess it's uh, where where a lot of that uh, um, analysis comes in, where it comes to you know um, you know mind stuff and things like that in in sport and how people's attitudes are and perceptions are and stuff like that. It, I know a lot of that is, is done in the States, you know, a lot of uh, American sport. But, uh, mm. uh, but yeah, there's a lot of analysis on that sort of stuff. Now it's it's trying to keep players happy, isn't it? A happy player is, you know, will be one that, you know, probably be uh, more on form than one that's unhappy. There's so many different things. Yeah, it is interesting. Uh, at Tottenham right now, uh, we do have a player that's very much struggling this season in Della Ali. Um, and Pochettino does just keep rolling him out. In my predicted lineup today, I thought maybe he'd be dropped for Son. Um, who has been playing uh, better of late and uh, thought he might be given a chance. Maybe you let Del Ali take a match or two to rest because, as you mentioned, a lot of clubs don't have the opportunity to, to rest players as important as he has been to us in the past. But um, fortunately, with Son and Lucas in tow, it seemed like uh, maybe this was the time to maybe give him a rest. Unfortunately uh, for Jay, we, we weren't too concerned coming into this one considering their injury issues, which, again, we'll touch on in a little bit. But we just rolled him out again, and I think... Um, Poch is, is of the belief that you just have to get a player to play through it. Um, I don't think he will have the kind of crash that a striker would, as Jay pointed out. Um, strikers do tend to be, uh, strikers and goalkeepers, I think, are the ones that are the most, um, confidence based, um, just based on, uh, two individual players in Soldado and, uh, Jorelio Gomez, both of whom came, did well, and then by the end just weren't playable because they were too, uh, too much of a liability. Um, but that's how uh, things currently are under Pochettino with Della Ali. Um, <laughs> and weirdly, on the other side, sometimes uh, he'll drop a player like Son who's been playing very well anyway, um, just to make sure that Della stays in, um, which is uh, not something that I would do, but um, obviously not going to question Mauricio Pochettino's choices too much, uh, considering uh, how well he's done at the club since arriving. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with questions uh, for each of our guests. All right, and we are back. We're going to start uh, with Jay and Crystal Palace. Uh, we, we mentioned the injury issues um, a little bit earlier uh, for those playing at home. Uh, a staggering injury crisis at uh, Crystal Palace. Twelve of their first-team players uh, currently out injured. It looked like 13, but it sounds like James Tompkins was just having some cramps. Uh, curious as to uh, the fan base and whether this is being viewed as a training issue, if Hodgson's doing something wrong that's leading to some of the soft tissue injuries, or if you think this is just a really bad run of luck. It's a really bad run of luck. A lot of Palace fans have suggested old oh, training regimes, different things like that should be looked at, and the training pitch, stuff like that. Only two of our players are um, mu- muscular fatigue injuries, like hamstring pulls, different bits like that. The rest are all impact injuries. Uh, I mean, it's just it's just complete bad luck. It, it really is. I've not known injury crisis like it. We had one under Pardew a couple of years ago, which affected the ability of a lot of our um, star players. But um, we did... I, th- I think sometimes you can get through an injury crisis if, if it's the right players that are still on the pitch. Um, unfortunately, we're missing the likes of Will Saho, who gives us a completely different dimension, and it would have given us something a little bit different today, even though we did battle well today, and we, we put out a, a side that could compete with a t- team like Spurs, which is very, uh, very good. We'll touch on that a little bit later, but uh, it's just so unlucky at the moment, really. Um, a lot of people would point the finger at that perhaps we weren't very good in the transfer market in the summer when it comes to strikers. We didn't have the support. We let Fraser Campbell go on a free, uh, but didn't um, successfully replace him. Um, Bakary Seko came into his own, found some really good form, as, as we've talked about on the pod before, um, and then he ended up getting an injury, broken ankle. Um, it, it's just a real run of bad luck. I mean, Johan Gabay, uh, was, uh, he's been, uh, Johan's been carrying a knock all season. He's struggled for the majority of the season, hasn't been able to last whole games, but he is that touch of class that even if he lasts 60 minutes in the game, he's, he's worthy of his place, his starting place. Um, which doesn't, I mean, that kind of suggests that we don't have a lot of other people uh, in the squad to take his place. We do, but Johan is just that 
real touch of class um, in, you know, in the midfield. He really does make things tick. Um, we do have other players there, but like I say, you know, the injury crisis is for a club like Palace. It, it's it's so difficult to come to terms with. It really is. I mean, you know, we we had we had the hindrance of a of a terrible start to the season, and, and a lot of fans would probably, you know, looking back, seven games in, no wins in seven games, no goals. Um, I don't mean to harp on about it, but if if you'd have given the fans a position we're in now to say like you got you got eleven, ten, eleven games left to play and, and you're in seventeenth, then I, I know I would have you know grabbed it with both hands. I really were done because that was just a, almost a position where we're looking at thinking we're not gonna we're not gonna survive this even even after seven games. So, but to have this injury crisis hit us as well gradually over the last six or seven weeks or so, or since we played City actually at Christmas. Uh, just before the new year, um, you know, losing Jason Punch and Scott Dan both to serious knee injuries in that game, um, but it just, it's just compounding matters. Um, hopefully, we're going to see a player or two back in the coming weeks. But to add insult to injury, no pun intended, um, we, we can't play first defender against United on next game because he's cut tied. So it could, we could end up uh, coming to next Monday and having 13 players out injured, which. Which is incredible. It is incredible, and a lot of fans, are, you know, have, have been poking fun at Palace for it. But you know, I don't see any many other clubs in the Premier League that could cope with that large injury list. But if you're a club in the bottom half of the table, uh, as we are, um, you know, if you're, if you're not a top six side, I, I, I would, I would suggest that, that any any club would find it a bit of a struggle to uh, to get through games. But you know, we, we've got a tough run of games coming up. Hopefully, you know, after today, it will give us a bit of a G up and think, actually, we, we might be able to get something out of one of these games, at least, uh, against the likes of Chelsea, um, Man United, and we've got Liverpool as well. Um, but we got to see where we are with six games to go, but hopefully we can get some players back on the pitch. Uh, we don't think Wilf is too far away. Uh, that's the one we want to get back, because he gives us another dimension, like I say, and really does take the pressure off a lot of the other players because he draws he draws he draws the attention you know he has three players on in most games uh, and that obviously frees up some other players to do something as well so yeah it, it's incredible it really is incredible and uh, I wouldn't wish it on any team to be honest um, but uh, but yeah it's uh, it, it's a real hindrance I mean we've had the hindrance of a bad start to season now, and now this uh, if if we do start this season then uh um, yeah, yeah Roy would have done uh, an absolutely fantastic and the players of course would have done a fantastic job yeah. Um, secondly, uh, to get kind of a combo Tottenham Crystal Palace uh, topic here. Um, ever since the Liverpool match, uh, this diving tag has been pretty heavily applied to um, Tottenham, particularly uh, Della Ali. Uh, two incidents today in the Crystal Palace match. Uh, curious to get your thoughts on if that uh, kind of stigma surrounding Tottenham you feel is uh, warranted after the the decisions uh, today. Hate to say it, Kev, but yeah, um, I would say what annoys me the most about the diving situation we have in this country at the moment, particularly this season, is that Will Saha is castigated week in, week out for going down too easily. Um, he hasn't been banned for diving yet so far, uh, although a lot of people want him banned, even the pundits, because uh, going down too easy. But I want to see other players castigated in the press as well, because... Will Sahar seems to, you know, every game he plays, there is a situation in a game where, because he's a quick player, and he gets fouled, I mean, he he, he gets fouled week in, week out, and a lot of the fouls aren't aren't given. Um, If you compare that to players like Dele Alli and Harry Kane, they get far more fouls, uh, you know, pulled up against them, you know, during a game than than Wilf ever does. Um, that's my that's my irritant. I like players to be treated fairly across the board. If you know, um, Deli Ali today, yeah, I, it's just heightened the fact that he does go down too easily. There was two occasions in this game today. There were uh, you, you could almost see it coming because the the first situ- first scenario was three pl- three Palace players around Deli Ali in a penalty area. He couldn't go anywhere. He went down, hit the ground. That wasn't as bad as the one that he went over. In the uh, when when Hennessy came out, he had literally folded his legs uh, or, or straightened his legs. There's a, a really good image of it uh, before Hennessy, um, you know, slides out basically. So he's waiting for the contact to go down. I, it's just it it's it's a horrible part of our game in this country. And you know, you've got players. Two players have been banned already this season: Niasse for Everton and Lanzini of Stoke. But there's been situations which have been arguably worse than those two. Um, that have been got away with. So I, th- there's got to be some consistency again. 
Um, you know, it's not, it, we're not talking about rest during a game so much. We're talking about this panel that are making decisions. You know, if you, if you start banning players, surely it's going to be stopped because managers are going to want to say, well, I'll, you know, if you do it, I'm going to lose you for a couple of games. I don't want to lose you. I need you on the pitch. You know, it's going to, it, managers have got to start saying to players, it's just an irritant. It really is. And, you know, I hate it if any Palace players go down too easy. Wilf has been guilty of it. I hold my hands up. He has been guilty of it in the past. This season, I wouldn't say it's particularly been, um, but he, he gets, you know, he gets picked upon every game and he, he doesn't get his fair. I mean, a lot of the time he gets so frustrated because he doesn't get a fair share of the fouls that, uh, you know, the, the, from the treatment he gets during games. But sorry, this is on, this is about Deli Alley. And it's a real shame. And I did, I was only saying a couple of weeks ago that I could see, um, Ali being a player, being an England player in the World Cup that will get sent off for, for something like this. And, you know, it's happened to England players in the past. They're not going to tolerate it in the World Cup. This is going to be heightened in the World Cup, uh, particularly if VAR is involved. It just it just smacks of somebody that he will do something in the World Cup, um, lose his temper or just dive like he has been. It, maybe it's because he's not in in good form. And you mentioned this about other players. You know, how do you how do you persist? Do you persist with players in good form, uh, not in good form or out of form? But he just needs to eradicate this from the game because he, he's not a very likable player at the moment. Um, he, he was uh, heavily, heavily booed today for for, for the antics, and uh, and there was one part of the game where uh, he waved our uh, our infamous corner of the ground uh, just to antagonise the fans a little bit. So uh, a little bit heated in, in different scenarios, but he he doesn't need to do it. He really doesn't. You know, classy players just just don't need to, and he he's kind of showing that he's not quite as classy as people think he is. I'm afraid, Kev. I'm not really sure a lot of people thought he was classy, um, but uh, as, as we've talked about before, when he's not playing well, he tends to um, lash out in, in other ways, and his behavior just uh, as a whole diminishes, and again, as I mentioned earlier, he's not having a particularly good season, so I think we're, we're seeing the worst of him at the moment, um, and it is disappointing to see a player constantly doing that. Um, I do think uh, this is just a part of the cyclical part of football that right now um, a whole bunch of fan bases are upset with Tottenham for diving, uh, not to throw anybody too far under the bus, um, but I was watching the Liverpool-Tottenham match with a bunch of Liverpool fans uh, as well as Spurs fans. And um, uh, one of the Liverpool fans said, I could never cheer for a player that dives like that. And I was like, well, either you started supporting <laughs> Liverpool after Luis Suarez or... <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And so, yes, every every... Now and again, there's a, a particular player that draws that ire from other fan bases, and I'm not ignorant enough to think that it's not currently Del Ali, and I'm not uh, trying to take the moral high ground and say that I've never done it or, or trying to just point out the hypocrisy in other fan bases. I just think it's a cycle. And right now, Tottenham have this reputation, deservedly so for Del Ali, um, and then eventually it won't be us, it'll be somebody else. And then at some point that'll be a Tottenham fan at a bar saying that they'd never support a player that dove. And then somebody will mention, well, what about Del Ali? And we're just going to go around and around uh, in such a way, unless, as you point out, unless there is a change that's made. Um, but, uh, you know, a fan base, half of them are going to think it's great that it, you do whatever you can to win. The other half are going to kind of try to take that moral stance and say, you know, it's disappointing to have a player like that at the club. He really needs to work it out of himself. But if people inside one fan base can't agree, it's very unlikely that people outside of it can agree, especially when it tends to start with yelling, as uh, <laughs> Jay alluded to with, with Del Ali getting a lot of stick mm. today. Um, so I'm, I'm not uh, trying to, like, shy away from it or, or pretend that, uh, he's he's some saint. He clearly has not been. Um, and, and I'm not trying to tell anybody that their ire is uh, misplaced. Just uh, just a little context that people tend to go through this uh, and, and it'll happen again at a, some other club with some other player. Uh, and uh, so right now, yeah, feel feel free to be mad at Del Ali all you want. <laughs> right. I'm not here to say it's unwarranted. <laughs> But you're right, Kevin. So it's not it's not just Spurs and it's not just Deli Ali. I mean, um, Ian Hazard's been through it as well. Still does yeah. it. Um, what irritates me even more is that you know when commentators say, "Oh, he was clever." You know, yeah. a player a player's clear dive, but but they say they're clever. But when it's a player from a lower club, um, as Dan will probably testify, they're cheats, it's, or it, it, they're, they're cheats or diving. That's where it gets a little bit. You know, that's where it um, makes fans irate because. The, the players from the bigger clubs um, seem to get 
the you know the comments that it was clever. You know, even Hazard's had it a lot where it, where where people say that it's clever. Is it is within his rights to go down as the other one? It's like what are you talking about? It's cheating. You know, you wouldn't. You know, that contact in the street wouldn't send you over on 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 the floor, would it? Um, and and uh, you know the way they fought. I just think it's a real problem in the game. Um, and it, and it needs to be. It's one of the many things that needs to be addressed. Um, you know, you, I just find it odd that you know it's win at all costs, and and that's a lot to do with the money in the game. And um, you know, we're getting into the rounds of VAR and stuff like that. And um, you know, it won't be long before a a, a, a mad owner will um, be suing a referee or or somebody for for his side being relegated and losing so much money because of a decision, uh, because of a team's gone down after a loss at the end of a season, because of a decision or because of a dive or something like that. You can see it happening. You really can. Yeah, I agree. Uh, from an external perspective there, uh, Dan, what did you make of it, uh, whether you saw it today or just uh, Del Ali's play recently in general? Um, I think I think diving is diving and it's it's simply cheating. Like Jay says, uh, if you if you walk into Deli Ali in the... Uh, in the middle of a, a high street in London, I assume he's going to stand his feet if you give him a wee nudge. Um, and so, therefore, on a football pitch, he should be doing exactly the same thing. We, we do see quite a lot of um, we do see quite a lot of it in in the Premier League, and it is quite frustrating. Um, but cutting it out doesn't seem to be really hot on the agenda. It's more of a it's more of a token gesture, I think. I really don't think that that it's been taken seriously enough. I think if you need to bring it in, but regardless of whether referee's seen it, regardless of whether referee's not seen it, it can all be reviewed after the game. It all of it can be reviewed after the game. And if a player is found to have been diving on a replay straight away, three match ban done. It, it'll, you'll soon get rid of diving. You really will. Because if players start getting banned for half a season, like Delhi Ali would probably have played about four matches this season in, in all honesty. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, I, I, I think that, that you do cut it out then. Um, it, it, it's a disease of the game. It really is. I can't stand it. It really frustrates me. Um, and it needs to be cut out. But, but you know, I'll, I'll repeat that on podcasts probably the next 10 years probably because it just isn't going to get cut out we'll just keep going around in circles with the with the same thing in regard to diving I think it's 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 going to continue to happen um and players are always going to be out there to try and con the referee con the opponent and con the, the supporters of the opposing team essentially you know mm. I mean it's crap um, you say, Dan, you say there that it's a notional gesture, like I mentioned, that Niasse and uh, Lanzini were banned, and it seems to be only those two. And they, it seems to be they will only penalise players that have won a penalty and scored from. But I don't see that as preventing it because mm. that they've they've already got that they've already got the win, they've already got the goal, they've yeah. already they, they've already cheated and, and and gained the advantage from that. Where where is the advantage from banning somebody? You, you need to start banning players who, who legitimately dive in a game, whether. Whether or whether it's uh, got a penalty out of it or not, yeah. I, I just think if it's clear if it's clear cut and it's a dive, all, then yeah, they all, should get a ban. All instances of banning. I think we yeah. we had an incident earlier on in the season where Jay Rodriguez was completely took out by an Arsenal player. He stayed on his feet and and he he hit a shot against the post and we didn't score from it. It was a blatant penalty, but he stayed on his feet and there's no reward for that. The need to start being the reward of penalties, free kicks in and around the box mm. for when players are staying on their feet but still being fouled. Referees need to recognise that free kicks aren't just to be given for when a player hits the deck. But the, the, the problem is that that's not happening either. And it is all just theatrical rubbish. It, it, honestly, it, 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 for me, I know it sounds a bit harsh, but it's just bringing the game into disrepute. It's, it's yeah. absolutely diabolical, boring. Mm. But, you know, we need to in order to see an end to it, we need to be people taking it that seriously and having that stronger view on it. And we just haven't got that, I don't think, just yet. Yeah. Um, uh, we'll come now to uh, West Brom fully here, Dan. Um, and hate mm-hmm. to bring it up, <laughs> uh, West Brom currently sit in last place, six points off 19th, which is the biggest gap uh, outside of the top six in the table. Mm-hmm. Um, we have done transfer review shows uh, both after both transfer windows this year. And in both of them, we gave West Brom an A. 
in August, you mentioned that this might be the most talented West Brom side that you can recall. What has happened? Were, were we just wrong in our judgment of the talent? Have the managers not been able to get the most out of them? What, what has caused this, this struggling season at West Brom? Um, I think we've got the ability. In terms of the players, we've got players that are plenty good enough to stay in this league, which is the most frustrating part of, it, of all of it, really. But initially, we had a manager that wasn't probably capable of managing those players how they needed to be managed. And since Pulis has left, um, Pardew's then gone completely the reverse from Pulis and tried to get them playing attractive football, scoring goals and creating chances. Um, but in, in doing so, he started to play two up top and play a four-man midfield. In that four-man midfield, he keeps playing Gareth Barry. He can't get up and down. He can't get up and down the pitch. So so we, we're trying to play the right style of football, but again, it's not suiting the players. So, And then on top of that, I think the, the players' confidence is probably isn't shining through because regardless of how good the players are, if they're not confident in the manager or they're not confident in their teammates or they're not confident in formation or they're not confident in the training methods or they think it's gone from one thing to the extreme to another too quickly. You know, there's so many things that could be, be having negative effect on it. And I just think that the whole season for us has been just a bit of a, a shambles. Um, purely should have gone in the summer and then we should have rebuilt again. Um, but he didn't. We waited too long to sack Pulis. Then we've appointed probably a wrong man in Pardew, although I do appreciate Pardew and what he's tried to do. I've got no gripe really with Pardew. I've got no real hatred for Pardew. Um, but now the time the time came after everything happened with Taxigate. I'm sure all the listeners are quite aware of the fact that we went to Barcelona on a training camp and four of our seasoned, experienced first-team players in Evans, Livermore, um, Moy Hill and Barry went out and broke a, a curfew. We were out at half past five in the morning in a foreign country, stealing a, a taxi. You know, it sounds absolutely hilarious, but it's really not when you're a supporter of a football club, paying good hard-earned money to watch professional footballers give everything that they can. That means them being mentally in the right place, doing everything they can to, to try and win football matches. That means them not going out on the piss during the week before an important football match. That means them not staying out late. That means them not breaking the law. That means them giving absolutely 100% they can to the cause for a football club that's fighting for their lives to stay in the Premier League. Um, And so that kind of thing maybe does add up to where we are as a football club, that, that players aren't really taking it seriously enough players maybe think that they're too good to be going down and don't realise the enormity of, of, of what we're in at the moment because we are deep, deep in the shit. Um, and then, of course, you've got the fans at the minute who are completely frustrated and angered as to, to, to what's going on. Um, it just adds up to a massive cocktail of, of just bad news. Um, I, I will say that I don't dislike Pardew. I'm not uh, against massively against the fact he was appointed. You know, he, he was a punt still. Anyone was a punt at the stage we were at with, with having Pulis previously as the manager. Um, but he hasn't had the impact that was desired. He probably has made a few mistakes trying to find out what is his first team. We have had injuries. There's lots of combinations of things that have gone wrong. Then you've got the whole taxi guy. But I think I think that just shows that the players really aren't behind Pardew. And as soon as the players are not behind the manager, it's time for him to go, regardless of whether the players are right or wrong in that matter. You know, the players didn't want to play for Pulis. The players didn't want to play for Pardew. Who do they want to play for? You know, um, so the the finger is pointed mainly at the players, but that still doesn't mean that Pardew gets let off. Um, I think Pardew should have got the sack after Taxigate um, and after after we lost to Southampton in the Cup. And again, that's not that's nothing against Pardew. That's just the fact it wasn't working. Um, I've not really got too many bad words to say about Pardew. Um, I just think it, 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 it's not working and, and he's not managed to, to work any magic at a football club. I think it would have took a special manager to, unfortunately. Um, mm. I, I just I just feel that it's it's just a, a big combination of things. I will I will say um, that I think I think Pardew should have gone. 
after the Taxigate scandal, debacle, whatever it was, um, and we should have got someone appointed in ready, fresh for this Huddersfield game that we've just lost to. Because now we're probably going to be sacking Pardew in the week, more than likely, and we've lost another game. We may as well have done it before the game, if that makes any sense, because we could all see it come in this defeat. Um, it's just rotten. You know, you've got Johnny Evans, who, who's been paid an absolute shed load of money for a club the size of the Albion, taking a piss out of the club. Um, he's meant to be our club captain. He's, he's going out doing doing what he did. Jake Livermore the same. Moyhill the same. Gareth Barry, he played atrociously in, against Southampton in the cup game following following the, the training, following going over to Barcelona and what happened there. And he and he did exactly the same against Huddersfield. He should have been dropped. And then we've got we've got a young lad in Sam Field, West 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 Brom fan. Who's who played absolutely fantastically every time he's been on the pitch, and he's just left out the squad altogether. Um, I, I just there's, I can't really put my finger on any single thing that is wrong with West Bromwich Albion Football Club. There are just sat many things. I mean, we've sacked our chief exec and our chairman. I mean, it, it's 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 just it just smells of a club that is is going in the wrong direction. Um, and I hate to say it and I hate to point a finger again and people might think, I mean, all of this, it's not hyperbole. I'm not just saying all this for the sake of it or I'm not a bad loser. I'm not I'm not an upset fan throwing my toys out of the pram like you see like, on this ridiculous Arsenal fan TV and stuff. This is me being quite honest and trying to give give an, an, an honest assessment of, of what's going on at my football club. Um, but it is rotten. It really is rotten and we do need the reset button. If we miraculously survive under some new manager, then we still need to get rid of half our playing squad. It is that bad. Mm. Um, but I can't see that happening. We are probably going to get relegated um, and we do need a fresh young manager to come in. I want Graham Potter from Ostersons, um to, to, to come in. He's an ex-Bal Albion player. He's proved himself with players that really aren't the standard of what he'll be, be working with now. And he's got them players doing some phenomenal things. Um, we need to give someone like that the opportunity. Or or Smith at Brentford, um, or Johnson maybe at Bristol City. That kind of manager that's up and coming. Someone fresh. Um, because, I mean, I could have come in here and, and started shouting and swearing, but I think it, it, it's past the point of me getting that upset about it because it's been coming and I can see it all unfolding. I mean... Every week we're going up. I'm going up the Albion every week, and I'm praying and hoping we can get that big win that's going to catapult us up the league, and we're going to start winning a few games. But it just hasn't come. And but the worst thing for me, I'm probably going on a little bit now. The worst thing for me, oh, this is the last point, is against Huddersfield. We've got 11 players on the pitch, um, and it's just it's just all a bit dull. We're not creating chances. We're not really up for it. Um, we've we've got Matty Phillips absolutely bottling out of tackles. We've got players bottling out of tackles in the situation that we're in, not putting, not scared to put his foot in. Fans don't want to be paying to watch that. You know, the least you expect. I don't mind any team being. If I'm paying to watch the Albion, if it's a bunch of players that aren't really that good, but they're giving 100%, and you know they're doing everything within their ability to get themselves out of a bad situation. I don't mind that. I'll applaud that every single time. But when it's professional footballers of the quality that we've got, putting the Albion fans through what they're putting through at the minute, then I can't really live with that. And and and, and I think it's the same for many Baggies fans. We just feel that um, they're not giving their all and they're not being honest with themselves. And you know what? It's fine for them because they'll go and get themselves a move to another Premier League club when we get there. And it's the fans that will suffer because of this. And I don't mean that in all oh, we're going to be suffering. It's not the end of the world if we get relegated. Like, like I'll use Arsenal's reference again. It is the end of the world to Arsenal fans, typical Arsenal fans, but they haven't won the League Cup final. Tough tip, you know what I mean? You, you're in the League Cup bloody final. I'd give my left arm to be in any cup final. You know, realistically, if we go down, we go down. If we go down to League One after that, I can deal with it. I'll still be there supporting my football club because I'm a, I'm a true fan of, of West Bromwich Albion. Um, but I just want 100% commitment from the players, and and we we've not seen that all season, and it's really it's disgusting. Yeah. Well said, Dan. 
Yeah, excellent points all around, and uh, ones that I think uh, are really good to end on. We we were going to actually follow up on that with uh, uh, players that we we'd rather see the backup. Uh, come... Do you know what? Do you know what? Kev, they can all they most of them can all get. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, uh, actually, uh, for me, I'll just say Lorente. I think he's gone. Jay, you got one uh, off the top of your head. What you want to see gone from the club? Yeah, yeah, for a pass. Oh, oh goodness me. Um, um... <laughs> I hate to say it, and it's jumping on the bandwagon a bit, but I'm going to ha- I'm going to say Wayne Hennessy. Mm. Yep. Yeah, I'll agree with that, Jay. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair I, enough. I, I'm not. I'm not like that. I'm, you know I'm, I'm not that way inclined. He made two great saves today. To be fair he did. to him, that but... Davis one in particular, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but he's been a hindrance more um, than actually making those saves. And I hate to say it because, you know, these are human beings and he doesn't go out to make mistakes and errors. But I think if we'd have had a slight better keeper, you know, we could have made some points along the way in the last few years. So, yeah, I think it's time. Yep, fair enough. All right, uh, well, thank you guys so much for joining us. I I think we got uh, really in-depth on a lot of those, uh, which I very much enjoyed. Uh, If you'd like to tell the folks where to find you, now would be a good time. Yeah, cheers, Kev. Great to be back on. Um, I'm editor of the Eagles Beak, a Palace fan site. You can get us on Twitter at the Eagles Beak. The fan site is eaglesbeak.com. We've uh, got a bit of a downtime on the site at the moment, but we'll be back on form in, in, in a few days' time. I'm also co-host and uh, producer for the Meridian Sports Show on a local community radio show, which you can listen to online every Tuesday evening from 8 o'clock UK time. You can get us on Twitter at the Meridian SS. Yeah, I'm Dan. Um, I'm from 1878. Um, West Bromwich Albion fan site. We're not currently online at the moment, um, but you can read see of my rants on Twitter. Um, I'm also going to be featured in the Watford programme at our away game at Watford um, on Saturday. So if you happen to be a Watford or a Baggies fan, pick up the programme, you'll be able to read me talking about um, the famous West Bromwich Albion. Um, and I'm going to try and stay as positive as I can. Um from now until May. So, uh, cheers for having me on, though, Kev. Appreciate it. All right, genuine pleasure having both of you guys back on. It felt like old times again. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable. You can also check our fantasy show and our championship show there. Uh, you can also find my writings over at goal.com. Uh, that's it for us today. Thanks so much for joining us, as always, guys. We hope you keep listening. <laughs>